1: We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program from the blacklist, Harry Lennox. Harry, how are you? And uh, thanks for stopping by today.
2: I'm great, Neil. Thanks for having me. I'm here to talk to your
1: listeners. Absolutely. Now, thinking about things, Harry, how did you shift when the pandemic hit? Because I guess we're all still in that mode, you know, weird how we're doing interviews, you know, via Zoom or virtually. How did you make that shift or was it just same old, same old for you? when it happened
2: well i don't think it was the same old for me it was you know really quite a, a surprise um, but i actually tried to use the time i don't usually ask i wrote the script and uh and i got a little bit better at the piano and i and, and i tried to be productive during that time waiting for this to happen said, let's start
1: up showing show again absolutely and did you in a lot of ways did you make any changes in your Life and like trying to get out of your comfort zone, and even and during that time, especially when things were slow.
2: No, you know, that was, that was sort of the unique uh, thing about this pandemic because you couldn't really get out there. and I mean, anything that's in this apartment that we were in is is my comfort zone. So, yeah, I really wasn't able to sort of take up any new copies that I might just because we were more or less shut in, but um. Uh, you know, but I got a little deeper in, 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 in those things that I had already sort of began to study. Uh, and and that, was, that was good. That was a change.
1: Absolutely. And it, and we all learn from this, and it, I think it feels great to be back, right? To be back having a season and shooting again. It's got to feel great for you, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. Like, I, you know, we were chomping at the pitch to get back, uh, but we wanted to do it in a safe way. But yes, I think, you know, the word is, appropriately at the holiday time that we're grateful grateful to be back and excited to, to start creating
1: again exactly and i think that that's what the great thing is if you do things in the correct manner and you really are safe and anything any business or any organization or any type of situation if you really are cognizant of the fact of your actors and everyone that works on set you can do this, and I think that makes you happy because at first you're probably like, oh my gosh, how are we going to be able to do this again?
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Um, you know, I, I think one of the great things about the entertainment industry, but it's a little.
1: So let's talk about, for people that have not watched The Blacklist, and I think what you love about the days now, on demand, you can catch up at NBC, you can go ahead and go and uh, ch- check out other seasons of it, and you know catch up in different ways, but tell us about your character, Harold Cooper. Well,
2: Cooper is, uh, people seem to refer to him frequently, and I don't actually see the stuff this way, per se, but as the moral bellwether of the show, of the... The, uh, the judge on the kind of ethical level of what the task force is doing and what the members of the task force are doing. The task force are doing. From Elizabeth Keeney to himself, to the people, to the person that we work with, who is the most problematic, and that's Red Angel. He is the one to whose prism we see all of those personalities uh, behaving. How do we judge them? Are they doing something good for bad reasons? Doing something bad for good reason? You know these kinds of uh, very base level questions. I think are seen through the character Cooper, and and uh, he's also a pretty good credit solver. He knows at least how to delegate responsibilities to people to get that job done. He has a great eye for talent. He uh, understands the nuances that are working for, and again, ideas such as justice and law. So I think that he's a, a necessary component. I like to refer to him as the egg and the cake. Uh, you don't taste him the see him per se, but without him uh, sort of binding all of these elements together, it doesn't really happen.
1: <laughs> That's so, so true. And uh, this character, how do you think it's evolved since you were started with the show?
2: Evolves uh, just by nature of of, of what this relationship is that we found out in the first episode of the pilot. We hadn't heard of being from Red Rennington in four years, Uh, but now all of a sudden, rather than sort of being by the books, uh, you know, crime fighter, (laughs) we covered a (laughs) wrestle with all kinds of complicated ideas about what justice. Yes, and so I think every to have gotten smarter, um, more, you know, in some ways more in balance in terms of what he thought was right and what was wrong. And, and so I think he's got, he's got a bigger uh, concept of it now. And so I, 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 I like him for injury. I think that he doesn't bother himself about who he is, whether he's, not a, whether he's a good man or not, I don't think has that idea about himself. I just think he's trying to um, contribute to the security of a nation that should be a nation of law.
1: Yes, it's amazing to look at the shades of gray when you're trying for justice, right? That's the hardest challenge, I think, that your character has to look at, is what's best for the team versus what really is fair.
2: You know, I, I like to point out that the, the top of the Supreme Court engraved in there is something that says, I think, equal justice under the law. But those are two, those are not necessarily the same thing. And, and I, I think what is obviously what is legal is not always just, something we're dealing with now as a nation in many ways. And what is just is not always legal. Yes. It's not always met by the law as something that, that uh, it should be done you know by the society as a whole so it's a very it is very nuanced
1: how do we balance exactly how do we do that and see I love you making that perspective of today in our country where we're so divided and yet we have a lot of the same beliefs we just have a different interpreting of them and it becomes a situation where if we all would just get a chance to sit down and have a cup of coffee or talk and really look at what our issues are we really are not the extremes of both sides and of this craziness we really want our country to be the best that it can be and that your character goes through that process as well of understanding well what's going to serve the team and versus versus what's going to serve justice and that's hard to really interpret
2: i agree uh, i couldn't agree with, with you more i think that you know it will be shocked And how well they could get along if they would just listen to each other. It's is actually have a chance to see where people are. I think that everybody just thinks that they're doing the right thing. We may disagree greatly on whether or not that's right. But they think it is right. And, And so I you know, I go back to this idea
1: you think of what we're talking the political side, but think about sports. I don't know who who your favorite NFL team is, Harry, but when Sunday comes, I put my Steeler and some Steeler fans can't like differentiate between a Browns fan or a Ravens fan or a Patriots fan before Brady left. Well, we don't have to worry about the Patriots anymore, but meaning that we would hate them so much. And yet if we really sat down and had coffee with them, we're more alike than we think just because of our allegiance.
2: You know, I have some of the most passionate ads in the world. But listen, just so just, you know, I'm a big Steelers fan. I'm rooting forward to go all the way this year. Um, especially, you know, in the AFC, I'm at the final. But that said, yes, you know, I think that, uh, that Steelers fans are
1: distinguished by their faith world. <laughs> yes, we are. And, and you wouldn't believe, it, I guess, the older we get, the more mature, hopefully, we get compared to when we were young, where. Our lives would be over at 21, 22 when we saw a loss of a certain Pittsburgh's team. But now at 47, I'm a little less – I'm not going to take it as badly a loss as a Super Bowl. I even remember my 20s seeing Neil O'Donnell blow that Super Bowl against Dallas because we could have beat the Cowboys, and that would have been one of the most biggest upsets in NFL history. And we just – yeah, we just couldn't pull it out. So, all right, so it's very interesting. Is a of Yes, exactly. Now, thinking about it, Harold, I mean, uh, Harry, about Harold Cooper, who else would you say your character in your career? you played so many characters. Who would you say he's most alike to?
2: Who, Cooper is most alike you know Yeah, to other
1: characters you've played in your career as an actor.
2: Hmm, I think that uh, I did a show a few years back, maybe like 16 what was called what was called commander in chief. And I played the chief of staff to the first female president. And so insofar as that this is, you know, dealing with Washington and politics in some way, at least, you know, bureaucrats and that, I think that Cooper has a lot more in common with that character than anyone, although maybe a little bit too with Commander Locke, except for you know, Commander Locke was not a believer. He was like a Roman centurion who who didn't believe until uh, he became a witness? Uh, Cooper is a believer. He believes in the goodness, certainly if I think of the, of the team, uh, and I think he knows what the virtue is in dealing with Red Riding. So I would say uh, on a kind of outside uh, function. Cooper and them, uh, all of that character kind of say? Jim Gardner. Uh, from
1: Commanders. Interesting, and when you talk about Commander Lock, as I'm, I'm a Matrix nerd. I mean, how how lucky are you to have a show like The Blacklist after you know you could just be going and doing uh, different cons before the uh, whole uh, pandemic just being uh, Commander Lock, right? You could just spend the rest of your life just because of how many people are Matrix fans, right?
2: <laughs> In theory, I haven't done any of those. So. Things, but I, I guess I could have done that. But yeah, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I i can not tell you how excited I was when I found out that I was going to be a I was over the moon. Uh, like everybody else in 1999, I went in to a theater, not expecting much, and uh, came out and it changed the game. You know, that bullet time and, and, and uh, philosophy, and popular culture. You know, that was uh, sort of groundbreaking in, 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 its, in its way. And so I was uh, very grateful. I got a chance to be in that movie. You know, there were people like Dr. Cornell West, which, you, you know, that I could talk to you about philosophy. The Wachowskis are extremely, extremely erudite. And they would talk uh, all kinds of stuff, that, you know, all kinds of ideas and uh, and how they were making it into popular entertainment. So I, I was very fortunate to be part
1: Exactly and and that is And you're very fortunate to be part of the blacklist A real quick update What can we expect this season compared to other seasons What would you say the change Without giving anything away
2: Well I think that the change uh, Is that we'll start off Knowing this that Elizabeth Cain Has made the stateful decision To, uh, to Go into league with The enemy of Red Redding And that's something that she hasn't done before So that's a betrayal uh, certainly on a personal level and a familial level with him. Uh, and by extension, it, 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 it fits us against her. So, and I think that's really, that's really the first time that's not Whereas, When she's gone rogue in the past, uh, she was still doing it for understandable reasons. You know, certainly uh, understandable to her and we, we got that. But this time, this is a problem. And, and, uh, and, and this is going to really split us in a way that we haven't
1: been ripped from her before. All right, well, fabulous. Everyone needs to tune into The Blacklist, November 13th, the season premiere, and I appreciate you coming by, Harry. And we kind of really talked about a lot of different things, but I think we definitely have one thing in common. We love the Steelers. Here we go, Steelers, undefeated, <laughs> and we're going to beat the Dolphins record. We're going to go undefeated. I, I feel it. 2020 is the year, and hopefully we get the Super Bowl and go undefeated. Wouldn't that be awesome?
2: I can't. Uh, I can't say how
1: happy that would be. We'll hope. Let's see. We got to have some big hope in twenty twenty. So thanks again for stopping by, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me,
1: All right, take care. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani, hey. Dave, how are you, bro? And uh, you just came back from Mexico, right?
0: yep acapulco it's still there still as beautiful as ever
1: you're still there
0: no i said it is still there.
1: (laughs) oh you you could just say it's still there. but uh we have an amazing guest and so what i'm excited about is again i got to chat with her before but we really didn't talk about the fresh prince and that's my favorite thing in the world the french prince fresh prince of bel-air so introduce our guest
0: Everybody remembers Daphne Maxwell-Reed, the iconic TV mom of the 90s, from her three episodes as Vivian on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Daphne, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, thank you, Dave. Nice
1: to be back. Absolutely. Yes, she remembers back if she'll say, let me see. I We did an interview about 10 o'clock at night, Daphne, and so I, I had to kind of go back into things. How have you survived the pandemic? You know, you, you were very creative doing so many different things with art and everything. Update our listeners on how you dealt with uh, once the pandemic hit.
3: Well, once the pandemic hit, it was not uh, much different for me in my creative sphere. It really canceled my travel around the world, which I was planning. <laughs> so that kind of put a crimp in that. But uh, I spent the time being creative and exploring new avenues of creativity. I started making masks and I continued to make some of the, um, the clothes that I've been making for my custom clients. And I've just been enjoying Thinking about what's going on in the world and trying to help make it happen better.
1: All right, Dave. First question for Daphne.
3: Well, Daphne, uh, first of all, I—how did
0: you first get the job of Fresh Prince? Because you weren't the first uh, Aunt Viv, right?
3: Correct.
1: So, how Uh, did that happen?
3: I was asked asked to um, audition for the show when it first was getting started. Uh And I had just finished working three series back-to-back for about four years, and my husband and I decided we needed a break, and we were going to move to Virginia. And we bought a farm, and we were ready to go, and they said, oh, we've got an audition for you with a um, young rapper, a half-hour sitcom. I said, bye-bye. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And when I got home to Virginia, I had a lovely time. And then this fall season started. I turned on the TV, and there was this cute show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I said, oh, I missed that one because <laughs> yeah. it's really cute. But three nope. years nope. later,
4: nope. they called and says,
3: we have an audition for you for... Aunt Vivian at the Fresh Prince. I didn't ask why. I didn't ask anything. I said, I will be on a plane. And I came (laughs) and auditioned for it, and it took two weeks. It was about five different callbacks for different groups of people. And um, I fell in love with James Avery on about the second audition, and we clicked. And I guess it showed because they hired me, and I was a really happy girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he, nobody
0: knew who, who uh, Will Smith was at that time. Was that his really first uh, breakthrough?
3: He was a rapper. Yeah. And he had done Yeah, music. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he was a very...
1: A uh, very good rapper. I mean, he's, very good rapper. No, no, and
3: he was, had had a couple of uh, hits with Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. That were very popular. Wow. But I wasn't interested in working with a young rapper. Yeah. But he bloomed into a fine, fine actor, but it took some time. And it was uh, Janet Hubert Witten who broke him in, I guess. She was the first Aunt Viv, so she had to get through his learning how to be an actor.
0: Sure.
3: listened very well to uh, James Avery, who gave him lots of lessons and support, and he bloomed beautifully because he put his whole heart into it like he does everything
1: else. Interesting. So (laughs) when you start working with him, what was your? So you said you didn't want to work with an, a rapper at first in your mindset because of what rappers were at that time. Some of them, right? And, and say, oh, he's not a trained actor. What were your thoughts process when you finally started to see that this Will's going to be pretty special working with him?
3: Well, I could see that by the time I got there. He had bloomed. And I could see from his work ethic from the very first show, I saw somebody who put 180% into rehearsals and had a lot of energy, and he he had a light about him, and you Mm. could tell that he was going to be successful at whatever he put his foot into, and he was smart. We had lots of philosophical discussions and stuff during rehearsals. I mean, we just used to sit on the couch (laughs) and the whole family just sat there and chit-chatted while they were deciding where to put cameras. And he was a very bright child. (laughs) I mean, he was interested in learning about all sorts of things. And anybody with that degree of curiosity is somebody I'm willing to give time (laughs) to.
1: Yes, definitely. (laughs) Dave, so you weren't a fan a fan of Fresh Prince from Bel- of of Bel Air then?
3: Oh, I was. No, Dave. I'm
1: asking Dave. I know you were a fan, definitely. Oh,
3: what
1: about you, Dave? What was the question?
0: I'm sorry.
1: I said, were are, are were you a fan? I was such a huge fan. Oh, big fan. Okay. Not
0: only am I a fan, but my my daughter's a fan, and her daughter's a fan. I mean, there's it's still on TV. So yes. It's just generation.
3: Yeah, we're the third generation now. Thanks you guys for keeping it going.
1: Now now <laughs> when you th- when you had to take the, the the gig as Aunt Viv from Aunt Viv from the first how did you kind of change the role so that it was more you in a way of having to change the that role to you?
3: I didn't have to do anything because uh they hired me to be my Aunt Vivian.
1: That's what I wanted to ask, yeah.
3: I wasn't trying to be like her. I was just being part of a family. And they launched me that way, and that's the way I got to play it. That's what they wanted me to play. Or if they didn't want it, they didn't tell me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And everyone accepted you, huh? And then you're
3: was It was very funny how they just accepted the change with Jazzy Jeff coming in saying, "You know, you look different since you had that baby." And <laughs> Will just looked at the camera and shrugged and it was never spoken of again. Wow. And I think that was clever. I think that was classy. And I really had nothing to do with the former Aunt Vivian. I didn't know her. I didn't I was not replacing her. I was going to work. <laughs> So I, they never spoke about why she wasn't there, and I never asked.
1: How uh, amazed are you looking at all the cast that's still alive and looking at their success after Fresh Prince? Are you just proud of that in a lot of ways? Oh, gosh,
3: yes. It's like watching your family bloom. It's It's a beautiful thing, and they were young. This was 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. They have really bloomed into wonderful human beings as they started out. And we all support each other and the things that we're doing. Karen's busy being a producer and a creator and a writer and a mom. And we go to weddings. We go to births. We go to funerals. We are a family. We are really a family. And I feel as proud of Will as I do of my own son.
0: Wow. Mm. How, How often are you in contact with him?
3: We are in contact a lot. Hmm. Um, we we kind of, we just always are in contact. <laughs>
0: well, how cool is that? And now you've it's got a 30-year reunion coming up?
3: Tell us about that. It was fabulous to all be in the same place at the same time.
1: <laughs> I'm sure.
3: And uh, to see the set recreated and to just to talk about things that, we hadn't talked about in a long time or reminisced about things that happened. Some of the things we knew about, some of the things were surprises to us. And we'll produce this reunion. So he had a lot of surprises for us, starting with we were not allowed to talk to each other when we got to L.A. So he put everybody in a separate hotel. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And he didn't want to leave oh he didn't want us reunionizing before we actually got to set
1: that shows how talented Art. will is because he's been behind the camera not just in front of the camera
3: right he's got an incredible uh production company westbrook and
1: mm. he
3: did a marvelous job with this and we spent the day laughing and crying <laughs> and yeah dancing And you're going to love all the surprises that we're going to bring for you. See, and I I can't
1: wait for that. And remember when they're talking about a reboot, not just the reunion? Is there a possibility that can happen?
3: There will be something that is a different take on The Fresh Prince. Will has um, gone into a partnership with a young man who did a dramatic version of The Fresh Prince that caught, will's attention so westbrook and this new young man are going to be producing that new show i don't know whether it's going to be called the fresh prince of bel-air or what they're going to call it but it is basically um the continuation dramatic form of the fresh prince of bel-air all
0: right good dave next so was part. the first good
3: was the first aunt viv invited to the reunion as well there are
1: many surprises uh, you can't say that no dave reunion. you gotta know we can't spoil <laughs> things see i would never ask that daphne so you can go and give him a a little slap can't, on the wrist I can't answer yeah I can't <laughs> so, you, you can't answer that i understand I no answer. if they put him in separate rooms you don't you can't say anything till they you know they went out and did this uh did you film this before covid or after covid this was
3: during covid We filmed this in uh, September.
1: Holy cow. So
3: there were, we abided by so many protocols. We were quarantined. We were tested. We were masked. Everybody was masked and gloved. And it was very well done.
1: I'm sure it was. It took
3: a lot. (laughs) It took a lot. All right, Dave. You know, you're famous
0: in your own right. I mean, you've been breaking barriers for a long time. Uh, first American, uh, first African American homecoming queen at University uh, Northwestern University, and and uh, first African American woman to appear on the cover of Glamour. Uh, tell us, tell us some of your accolades. Oh, you just did. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, I did a lot of. first yeah, there's many
0: more actually.
3: Oh, there've been a lot, but it's because i was in the right place at the right time and the opportunity arose and i took advantage of it and i had a lot of blessed good luck
1: you're you're so humble daphne that's what i'm impressed about you yeah yeah it's the right place right time opportunity you talked about hey i never thought this would happen and bam i was there and i was like holy cow and what an opportunity. Yeah. What an opportunity. Now looking at, you know, specifically enough, we can't say who's going to be on this, meaning who all shows up and different things. How have the fans reached back out to you again? Once they heard about the reboot, I mean, the the reunion it
3: has been very exciting. And as um, Dave has said, we're on our third generation. So we've got, Folks my age who grew up with the show and their kids and their grandkids. And those grandkids are getting older too. So I think we have an iconic show and it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So uh, winning combination there. And you can't go wrong with Will Smith anyway, no matter what he touches.
3: That's right. I'm really you, proud of him.
0: You've got five books. Is that true?
3: I do. I have published five books.
0: Wow. What are they about?
3: I am a photographer, and my first four books are about um, what I see and what I want you to see in the world, and they are all about doors. And I like the – since my degree is in interior design and architecture, I focus – on the details of architecture, and I'm drawn to doors. I like the craftsmanship. I like the colors. I like what nature has done to the door. She's so creative. I,
0: yeah,
1: I remember all like, doors. Huh?
3: Yeah, it's all on doors. And gone I've around the world? Gone around the world. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, four books. And she's a, um, yeah. mm-hmm. One it's of amazing. them is, is in Cuba. Wow. And I did the whole west side of Cuba in about a week and a half and published an entire book on Cuba 2015. It was when it was open for a little while.
1: Yes, <laughs> it'll be open up again probably.
3: <laughs> it will be open again. It should be. The the amazing thing was looking at the culture of the Cuban people and seeing that they make art out of anything because they have so little it doesn't stop their creativity. They're just an amazing people. And the architecture and the doors of Cuba are fascinating. And I wanted to, when I speak about my doors books, when I do um, talks and things about my publishing, I want to encourage people to look at the details in their life. The things that, that are between Uh, where you started and where you think you got to go you have an A and a B but in between A and B there's a whole lot going on that I don't want people to miss because it makes the journey to be very very rich so I'm encouraging people to notice details and I started with doors and then my fifth book is a cookbook which is a compilation of recipes and stories that I've just gotten gathered uh, for the past 40 years and a mini memoir of my life growing up and why. Wow, you
1: have a lot of different things going on.
3: Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. That's cool Oh, great. but then I've got a design line of coats that I make. and <sighs> I, I do a lot of different things. She's so
1: busy now. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave.
0: So you're like Martha Stewart and Wonder Woman all
3: rolled up into one. I don't fly
1: (laughs) now here's a question for you where um, and then Dave has the final question where uh, when is the premiering the uh, reunion when's that coming up
3: it's we think it's uh, around Thanksgiving between sometime a week before Thanksgiving Thanksgiving weekend I don't know they have not given us a, a date so I'm with you
1: (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we'll have to find out the, and so we'll again, we'll have to find, we'll have to find out by you. keep checking on your HBO. socials. Yes. HBO.
3: yes H B O Max my social.
1: Oh, uh, so it's I'll let you know. So is it H B O Max? Is that where it's going to premiere? Yes. Okay, interesting. I didn't read. I it read differently to me. I thought that was where uh, I. I've been. I had the Pretty Little Mo- Liar Moms Club. They, I had. They have a podcast. I had them on my show about how you know uh-huh. the Pretty Little Liars is, is again on, and they were their big sponsor was HBO Max. So we'll say again, thank you to HBO Max. Check your yeah. local listings out, the HBO Max, and then also check out our social media. But Dave has a great question for you because Daphne, you've lived an unbelievable life in different ways, but I know that you have had been touched by caregiving in some way. So go, Dave, go ahead and answer, ask your question. Yeah,
0: well, like most people, I was just a normal guy own a gas station in Castaic Lake, California. And then my, my wife started complaining to me Uh, right about the time we were in the emptiness phase of life. We had all this freedom and traveling She had this headache for three days. It wouldn't go away. Well, unfortunately it turned into a stroke and she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And, you know, the next couple of years was really rough. Uh, Ever since then, we've reinvented ourselves. Our love has been rekindled. And now we travel all over the world, just sharing our message to caregivers, how to, stay alive Just 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. And so I started this website, caregiverdave.com, to help caregivers, you know, not only survive caregiving, but to thrive and not burn out. So my question to you is, how has caregiving touched your life? Because it doesn't matter who you are, eventually it's going to touch your life in some way.
3: Well, I guess the um, most dramatic caregiving that I got to do was after my mother had a stroke, I had to... um, do all of her medical, mm, I had to be there for all of her medical decisions. And I had to get her through the hospitalization, the starting of the therapy. And then she had another stroke and she had to get into palliative care. So I had to take care of all of that. And then you take care of funerals. And then you take care of all the family members who are missing her. So that was a little exhausting, but I had the great support of my husband and my children and uh, uh-huh. got through that. But then my last auntie, about, mm, I guess it was about six years ago, um, asked me to come help her navigate the hospital's uh, kind of system because she was alone in South Carolina and she had a house And she had a heart condition, and she was told that she needed to go into um, care, and she didn't want to do anything but be at home. Mm. So I had to set up her house for her to live there uh, in the state she was in. I took care of her for a, we thought it was going to be about four months, it turned into 18 months. And she wow. was quite a fighter, yeah. but I had to go through all of the caregiving, having people come in, having people, and not being in South Carolina, I'm in Virginia, wow, yeah. so I had to do caregiving through the telephone and trips down there. I did a lot of flying, and then I had to take care of her house afterwards. Yes. I became the owner of the house, and I had to sell the house, decide what to do with all the things that she left. And she was quite a collector. <laughs> and that was draining on me. And my husband was not really there for me through all of that. He was very busy doing something else. And it was hard on our relationship.
0: Oh, gosh. And
3: um, it was a pretty rough time for us after that. But then... All of that comes to a head and you decide what's going to happen. And we decided we love each other and want to stay together.
1: That's good. That's great. Oh, they, that's they were crazy. able to, Yeah. Tremendous. But
3: care, caregiving can affect yes. all sorts of different parts of you.
1: Exactly. And it, we'll definitely use that in our in his caregiving book. He's taking all the celebrities and how they've answered great. caregiving questions. So that's just... A tremendous story. We have so many different ones that have shared that caregiving story. So we want to thank you for that. And visit caregiverdave.com if you want to find info. Now, Daphne, Daphne, where can we find the best places? Where can we go for you? Social media and website, all that. Where can we go?
3: All right. Website. It's easy. It's daphnemaxwellreed.com Don't put a whole lot of letters in Daphne. It's just D-A-P-H-N-E. Leave it alone. <laughs> Maxwell and Reed is R-E-I-D. And Daphne Maxwell Reed has all of the things that I'm involved in. My social is msdaphne13. That's my Instagram page. And uh, that has other pages attached to it as well. But that's where you can find me and find out what's going on and keep up with me.
1: Fabulous. What a great guest, Dave. What a great way to end the week And what a positive message. And we appreciate all that you do. Keep working so hard. And I cannot wait till we find out when the show premieres. So you have have to follow her and watch her. And I'm sure, possibly, you could be coming back again to tell us when it finally does air. Because I love your publicist. She's the greatest in the world, Lori DeWall. And I wanted to tell her that. And I, I love working with her. And I've worked with her for about 10 years. Different guests I've had on. So I appreciate
3: I had Lori back
1: 40 years ago. Holy cow. She is, I was doing television. She she was fabulous. We did we talked about it in our part one of our interview. I remember all of that. That's why I tried to ask different yeah. questions cuz I believe everyone goes back to my 6000 interviews. So, you know, you know, you never know, but I appreciate you stopping by.
3: Thank you for having me back again. You guys have a wonderful weekend.
1: You too. Take care. All right. You're listening right. to Neil Haley Show Bye. and we'll be back in just a moment back to the Neil Haley show here on the author's corner segment and I'm excited to welcome the program author Lori Johnson author of you bought what and that's I love that because that kind of says what direction am I going Lori because am I in trouble now because I went ahead and uh, uh, purchased this huge item or you bought what that's the best decision possible there you take me in two different different directions from that title
5: yeah absolutely and the Answer depends on like what kind of thought you put into making that purchases and what you're buying it for.
1: <laughs> that makes it challenging. It makes it challenging for me to say. Okay, I, I'm 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 getting where you're at in certain ways. So your background's going to help me because the title of the book does not lead me to a direction I could guess, and so we could have a guessing game or our listeners out there could guess as well, listening. But tell me specifically enough your background. <laughs>
5: So I am a financial consultant for female professionals and solopreneurs. And so what I do is I help them gain the skills that they need to uh, master their finances in their personal life and in their business life. Um, So when I ask them, you bought what? They're like, I I bought things that will help improve my life or that will help grow my business.
1: (laughs) And you hope they do, right? Because at times (laughs)
5: they don't. Fingers
1: crossed, knock on wood. Because here's the problem a lot of times. We can buy certain things like you know, hire the right website guy or hire a social media guy that charges entirely too much money and we don't get any ROI. And then defining that ROI is the hardest thing because I'm going to tell you right now, I invested so much money in my brand, but I'm so happy I did. Meaning it, because it, the, the, why are you doing, and a lot of it was time, thousands of hours, but it was worth its weight in gold to say to a celebrity, you know, I interview celebrities and tell somebody, you know what? This is who I've interviewed. This is my syndication, all that. But it was a lot of hard work and effort that really didn't pay anything at first. So, you know, it was it was marketing dollars. So a lot of times people don't understand when you buy something or you invest in something, what really the dividend is for it. You have to kind of define that, right?
5: Yes, absolutely. You know, usually when I'm talking to small business owners, I will tell them, you really need to look at the level of business that you are in and purchase appropriately appropriately for that level. I mean, if you're like a nonprofit, and I don't mean you're a nonprofit because you're like a 503c, I mean you're a nonprofit because you're not making a profit, right? Oh. <laughs> there are different things that you should be buying than if you were a six-figure business. And so you have to be cognizant of you know where you are when you start purchasing things. You know,
1: a lot of authors have that problem. The first-time authors that don't really have a product service except their book, and you know you can't make a lot of money in your book unless somehow luck happens. Like you end up or you have the greatest book possible, become a New York Times best-selling author, or you know you have best-selling author and you don't have a lot of and you were self, let's say self-published. Yeah, you're going to be taking you're going to have a lot of money, but a lot of times you're not going to. So a lot of ways. You talk about businesses not making any money at all, and they keep buying. They keep buying this service. They keep buying this service. I have a client of mine that I finally had him just be with me because he was purchasing all these programs that seemed cheap, but none of them did anything for him. So he probably spent thousands of dollars a month or I mean a year on programs that didn't reap any rewards at all.
5: Yes. I mean, and and so that is what the hard part is when you are going into business. You don't know what you don't know, right?
1: And so that's why we have someone like Lori to help us, right?
5: Yes, absolutely. Like, you bought what? I'm like, you know, I can help you figure out what you shouldn't be buying. That's for sure. But what kind of stuff did you buy when you were, I mean, what kind of stuff do you regret buying? Me? Yes.
1: Oh, she's putting me on the, I, I, re- I want to know. <laughs> I have a lot of regrets in business. I think investing in specific companies and trying to do the, trying to sell those companies. I'd say network marketing companies. I, I wish I didn't buy ever. I hate okay. it for anyone out there that's a network marketer. I'm sorry. I'm just not one. Uh, I invested in so many of their product services because of being a semi-celebrity. I'm not a celebrity, but meaning people want me to endorse things. People want me to do things. They put, oh, you're going to make all this money doing this network marketing company. Well, the money I've spent in product and service and things like that has reaped no benefit at all. Selling somebody else's stuff has not worked for me at all. And I regret buying those products, the watch. So you, you, you got me now. There was this watch that was out that was supposed to be the best watch or this best shake or this best thing. And that's just not me.
5: Yeah. And you know, so I, I in this book, I go into talking about a lot, how people really need to look at who they are and why they make the decisions that they make. So what you said is just perfect. I specialize in the psychology of money. So it's like, what's behind why you were making those purchases? And your personal finances are the foundation for the decisions that you're making in your business, right? And so you really have to be very self-aware.
1: Self-aware because I look at it back and this this was the, the one that's gonna get me to become a millionaire. Like that. That's what they teach you. These network marketing companies. You become the best. You're going to be making all this money, and that's it. No. If you had the right team, you've really put the effort and you really invest in being a network marketer, and fail many times. Yes, you will be successful. But somebody that recruits you right now and you have no experience in it. Don't think you're going to thrive in it in a second unless you're just like a lucky person. But it looked like that's the problem I looked at. So I I look at myself and say, okay, instead of following the road I needed to follow, I was following other get rich quick schemes and lots of entrepreneurs fall into that trap.
5: Yes. And I I totally agree with you. And I think um, sometimes we go into our businesses and we don't have those basic skills that we need in order to make smart decisions. Right. And so in my book, you bought what how to create a spending plan that works in chapter eight I go over the 10 money mastery skills that you need to have in order to make good, sound financial decisions. And, you know, if more small business owners went into those business, their business with that foundation, it would, it would make growing their businesses so much easier, you know?
1: Exactly. So the way I look at what you're, you provide and this is fantastic is the fact that when we look at the operation side of a business, you got to run your business like a corporation, even though you might not be a corporation, you need to look at the ins and outs of your operations. You got to look at your everything, but the financial end is probably one of the biggest reasons why businesses fail. They don't look at the financial. They don't look what they spend. They don't look at the money coming in and out. And I'm it's fault my way in that way as well as my office manager is telling me that today and understand these things because guess what? that's keeping you from making the money you need to make. It's keeping you from keeping the doors open and all those things. So they need to hire someone like you, Lori, right? So where can we check it, check you out and find out more info on you?
5: Yes. You can find me at my website, revision financial solutions. It's R E V I S -S I O N revision, financial solutions.com. And you can find my book. You bought what, how to create a spending plan that works there as well.
1: Thanks again, Lori, for stopping by. I appreciate it.
5: You're welcome. Thank you, All
1: right, right, you're right. You're watching The Neil Haley Show and listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Janet Ickes, you're the author of Money Does Not Send Itself. Spend Itself.
0: itself. (laughs) Where
1: did it go? And I would love to know, where did my money go? So, Janet, that's why the expert that we need to have on the program, especially during COVID-19 and these Challenges. Where does our money go, and where we 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 don't if we don't stay organized, we're in a lot of trouble, aren't
4: we? Absolutely. And especially since this whole pandemic thing has hit, what is happening is people are stressed out because they have no idea what has been happening with their money. It has been crazy, and if they didn't have a plan in place, it was magnified now. So they really have no idea because, as you mentioned, they weren't organized. They weren't taking the time to make sure they had a system in place. Which has caused a lot of havoc, a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, <laughs> and it, hence the reason. Yeah,
1: because if you lose a job, and you're exactly. not you know, exactly on that, and you didn't you live paycheck to paycheck, but it was okay living paycheck to paycheck because it was a pretty big paycheck. Then what happens if you have no emergency fund or anything exactly to protect you when the shoe
4: exactly. And that's what's happening and that's where i like it doesn't have to be complicated i was very blessed i actually had a very solid foundation when it came to money when i went to buy my first car my dad made me give me a budget to him before i was allowed to go get it so i thought everybody understood numbers and as i started networking getting out into the business world i've you know i've owned my small business for a long time and i just automatically tracked it because that's what i needed to do that's what my dad taught me to do from day one and too many people are not doing that, so they were stressed out. They were running businesses that they weren't taking a paycheck from because the foundation wasn't in place. And that's kind of where the book came from, is money doesn't spend itself, so where did it go? You know, you've got to build that solid financial foundation, and that's what this book helps folks to do.
1: And that's so true. you got to build that solid financial foundation because you never know what's going to happen next. And we I don't. Why? And why can't people live like you, Janet, and teach other people that you do teach other people, but how, why can't we, why do we understand that we can always put it on a credit card, we always can have a loan, we always can, uh, you know, do whatever we can to buy it now, and Mm -hmm. we should wait.
4: And that's what makes it so crazy is uh, too often, it's too easy, especially now, even with Amazon, my goodness, how many people go out and just spend it on that credit card and it shows up on the door and then all of a sudden the bill comes and now you're panicked because you didn't plan ahead for that. I always, you know, even with my son, I have a teenager, no matter if you're using your credit card or not, you need to know what money you're putting on that credit card because that's just the same as cash. It's just a convenience. It is not, the end all be all you can't just keep charging and charging charging because then you land in debt and sometimes that gets confusing sometimes it you know numbers are confusing but they don't have to be and that's what I really want to get get back to that foundation get back to the basics which means you're tracking it which means that you are taking time out to work on your business on your personal because it doesn't matter if you're on personal or if you're in business they marry each other so that foundation needs to be in place in order to do that so you can answer the question where did my money go you can say okay I know what I'm gonna do when a B and C happens and you know where to start
1: what about investing in your business especially if you don't have other people's money which so a lot of people don't have right you're they right. do
4: not and- but you have some kind of sales coming in and if you're proactive with the money that's coming in and investing in your business there then you're actually able to start planning even if it's a dollar here and there you start slow and you start investing in your business, which is what we need to do, because ultimately that's what you're looking for your business to do, is to be, you should be getting a paycheck from your business, if you are in business. <laughs> at least I'm thinking that's why most people <laughs> get into business. Yeah. I don't know if I'm wrong, but you know, in my opinion, I think you probably want to get a paycheck from that.
1: And so when you're at this certain point, it's kind of, sometimes you could be spending not enough to, for yourself to make more money. So, exactly. In, your expertise level, you're not just looking at when to invest, but why to invest, right? Because there's times we do need to spend.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you want to be smart about what you're investing in your business. And I mean, I'm a firm believer, like a lot of times you may have to invest to get the support you need to be able to run your business effectively. As a solopreneur, I deal with a lot of solopreneurs and they just don't like the numbers or it's challenging for them. So therefore, if you invest in the support to help you, that's always one way to be looking because surround yourself with folks that are going to elevate together and be working with it from there. So I think that's also an important thing and always learning and always looking to grow. So it definitely is very important to do that.
1: So your book's broken down this sp- specific ways to speak to the business owner and the personal or somebody that's a business owner and has a personal budget, how they work with both of those budgets. Exactly.
4: Make- one step at a time. I always say, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. And that's what I broke it down. I, re- I really work through eight specific bites to be able. And that first bite, a lot of times is actually scheduling some time to work on your business. You know, like another bite is simply tracking it. So we take it back to the basics so that the bites are simple and easy to do. Easy may not be the best word, but I guarantee you they are simple. And that's what I really encourage folks to be it can be simple if you're willing to work through the process
1: definitely simple to work through that process and how to make things simple is such a a challenge because it can be. because you're just like what can I do next what am I going to do next so for myself uh looking at you know the particulars of investing and, and looking at well how do I spend more time really organizing myself financially in my business and to understand what comes in and comes out. What do you recommend someone like myself doing?
4: The first thing I would recommend is make the commitment and actually schedule yourself, say an hour a week. Actually take that first step, make it an appointment. Make it as important as a doctor's appointment and don't miss it. You need to schedule yourself some time to work on your business. So when you do that and you're committed to doing it, Then you're actually going to go to the second step, which is getting a system in place to start tracking your numbers. So, when you start tracking your income and your expenses, now all of a sudden you can be proactive going forward instead of being reactive, which too many people have been.
1: That's so true. And because you're scheduling that time, and that means you, I know we all pay our payroll, we pay our different people, we don't spend time to track what we're spending. Exactly. And how much money can you save, but also how can you make sure that you don't run into certain situations like a pandemic that could destroy your business or a slow time for your business if you're not tracking these things?
4: Exactly. And without it, you, you just you can't grow either. There's no way to grow. You will be, you're, you're cutting yourself short if you don't have that system in place to get that track because so, you've got to be looking at it. You've got to be constantly evaluating, constantly knowing whether you're profitable because unless you're profitable, the money's not in your pocket. And that's ultimately where you're looking at for it to be. I much assume that most folks would want to increase their profits so it's in their pocket versus going who knows where because they have no idea where their money has gone.
1: And scheduling that hour a week or two hours a week mm-hmm. is very, very important. Sure. Until you are completely, then you can outsource portions of that after that fact, right? But you first Exactly. Because if you don't understand it, forget about it. It's just not going to exactly.
4: Exactly. Exactly. But it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's what I always seem to find is me. I like numbers. Most people do not, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's, I think, where I vary so differently when I work with my clients, because we can find ways. I always say, you know, I guess I have accounting background. However, I'll work in a box, but my box does not have square corners. Because we've got to find a system that's going to work for them because the very best system for the person to track to get everything in line is the one they're going to use, and that is just so important. It's the one they're going to use.
1: All right. So, best place we can find information on you, Janet is where? Where can we go?
4: Well, I would encourage if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the book. This is the book. Money doesn't spend itself. So where'd it go? And it's to help you build a solid foundation uh, when it comes to your money. And it can be if you just do moneydoesn'tspenditself.com you'll get more information right to do. it take all the punctuation out, money doesn't spend itself.com. So I tried to make it very, very simple and you can get information right there and then branch out and go from there. And also just looking at there. And I just encourage everyone to take control of their money.
1: And where else In like in the, this book is not just for an entrepreneur, but also a person that's trying to save their save money.
4: Exactly. The principles are the same and whether it's in your business or your professional life, that's, doesn't change because the foundation is the same whether it is in your personal or business and that's what we go over is the principles and foundations needed to make sure you have control of your money
1: so either your business or your personal life are the types of clients you deal with so you deal with some clients that are just for the personal Mm -hmm. and then some that are just business exactly Okay.
4: Exactly. Yeah, and very often they tend to be both <laughs> because oh, they mirror and they go together. And I do, uh, with all the networking and stuff, working together with a lot of solopreneurs and service-based entrepreneurs that need to get that under control. And that's what we do is we we put it together for them. We put the puzzle pieces together, and I help them to go ahead and move forward with that.
1: Well, Janet, thanks for stopping by and such great information, and I appreciate you coming on.
4: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to talk with you today.
1: Take care. Thanks again. Bye. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show and we'll be back in just a moment.